What's up guys, it's Mitch from Mitch's Kitchen and we're back for episode number four of The Taste of Success. Today we have Southampton snowboarding legend, Billy Morgan. Um, for those who don't know, he's won not only a bronze medal in the X Games and the Olympics, you've also set two world records for world firsts. Introduce yourself, Billy, how you doing? Yeah, not bad, mate. That's me. Pretty much summed me up perfectly there, mate. Apart from the old uh, Red Bull athlete as well. Yeah, they've been good the whole time, supporting me all the way. Amazing. So for those who, sorry, for those who like haven't heard of you before, um, firstly, they must have been living under a rock because over the last few years you've been everywhere with your snowboarding. Um, with the snowboarding side, how did that all kind of kick off? Because you're from Southampton, not from Canada or France, where you kind of traditionally think, oh yeah, snowboarding, and they grow up on the slopes. Like, how did that all happen? Yeah, it's definitely pretty random. Um, I was an acrobat when I was young and then when I was about 13 I quit um, and kind of got lost a little bit in sport didn't know what I was doing just trying this and that um, and we went skiing with school up the Alpine Centre I don't know if anybody's been to Southampton up the sports centre but there's a big plastic um, dry slope there um, I remember going there for the first time and just being like you know what, what is this and just addicted we went skiing and my mate wanted to try snowboarding and from the age of about 14, it's just all I wanted to do. And um, yeah, did my first season when I was 17, went away with some of the guys from the dry slope, slowly progressed, joined the, joined the British team at 22. And yeah, eight years later, um, records and medals and stuff. It's madness, really. <laughs> Amazing. Well, obviously, yeah, like, I've known you for quite a few years from bridge and free running, gymnastics, training around sides. And, and even then, I think you, uh, you were obviously doing your snowboarding a bit, but the acrobatics was kind of seemed like a hobby and a bit of fun. Um, how did you end up making it like a full time professional snowboarding? Is I'm all in, that's my goal. It was a big decision to make because snow sports they are quite expensive, um, and the only way to be able to snowboard a lot was to base yourself in, in one resort, um, try and find some cheap accommodation and, you know, wing it as much as possible. But joining the team meant I had to travel lots and um, which was obviously way more expensive. You, back then you had to pay a fee to be on the team. So it was a massive commitment for me. I had to have like conversations with my parents. I was on my third season and my dad was then like, look, when are you going to stop being a ski bum? And, get a job and I was like yeah well I could you know I could make something from it I never thought I'd you know get this far but um it was I was at the British Championships and the, the head coach at the time said you know what, what are you doing are you gonna join the team so then I had to go and have conversations with my parents they helped me with the first year but then but then Slopestyle joined it became an Olympic sport so then we got funding and that helped along the way. That's, that's when I could become pro because I could actually choose it as a career path. Not, not a career path. I could, I could afford to do it because I was working five months of the year when I came back in the summer, but it, you know, it, I, I couldn't earn enough to pay to travel around the world for six months of the year. So when it, yeah, when it became an Olympic sport and we got the funding, we were on. And how did the, uh, the Red Bull thing come about? Was that off the back of being with the British team? Or was that you something you sought after Perth, like yourself? They, they approached me, actually. Um, 
they I think they they kind of choose to have a per, a representative in each sport like in each discipline for for each country and there was a void there they didn't have a male snowboarder um and after winning a bunch of um British championships and doing well in some world cups and stuff I think I was I was just a great choice for him um, I was kind of involved with a little bit of him before. I was going to some like Red Bull performance camps. They do, they do um, performance camps for non-Red Bull athletes as well, just to kind of like help athletes in general. And they invite you know random people along. And there's Red Bull athletes as well. So you know, I was kind of a little bit involved in there, just buzzing off it all anyway. Um, and yeah, one day they they signed me up and gave me the hat. Yeah, buzzing. the hat side. It's it's like yeah, a. It's weird. Seal, isn't it? Like people are like, oh, can I have your hat? You're like, no, like they're exclusive, to, like just for the athletes. Classic kids, mate. All that go to skate parks. <laughs> oh, can I, can I have rib work? Sorry, I'm not allowed. <laughs> I'd love to give you one, mate, but I can't. <laughs> and uh, how long have you been with Red Bull now? Because it's uh, they, they've even obviously put your face on a can of Red Bull, which is absolutely mad. Like I remembered seeing it on the shelf, and I was like, yeah. I need to get one just because I I know you, and that is amazing. Like to have your face on a can it's it must have been a surreal moment that was insane you know they have to they have to choose from all of their roster of athletes from the uk you know and choose i think it was either four or five people to put on their cans and that was a massive privilege for me um you know we're not a winter sports nation and i was i was really grateful that they did that i mean it's super cool i've got a fridge in there you know like the the like big red bull can fridges yeah, with my face on it, just 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 in the other room. It's so random, but yeah, super cool, amazing. That's awesome because they, um, with your record, well, sorry, your world firsts. Um, I saw the Red Bull kind of helped build the ramp. Was it just for one of them, or was it for both of them? But yeah, if you if you have a project idea, you can go to them and and you kind of go for a meeting and sit down and talk about things. That was. It went on for so long because so we went to three resorts to try and do it. Um, one of my mates, free skier, Paddy Graham, he he was building a jump, which was big, um, that we went to try it on. So it was already there, which would have been perfect if it worked, but it, it just wasn't right. Um, and then my coach Hamish got in contact with a resort that had just finished a contest and they pushed loads of snow together for this contest. So the, the snow was kind of already there, but it still costs, they didn't tell me until afterwards, like way too much money. Cause I worry about money so much. They, they were like, right, let's not, let's not tell much Billy how much it's going to cost to build this jump. Otherwise it'll get all like freaked out. Um, so yeah, they, they organized that, built the jump and we just turned up and I, I had one day to do it that day because I went and was going in for an operation the next week. It's all coming back to me now. Um, yeah, they sorted all that out. It's madness. A lot of effort goes into building a jump. It takes like five people um, to two full nights on big machines to build one jump. So it's, it's like madness on the man hours. Well, um, I'll put the clip of your um, your latest one, but can you explain for the non-snowballers out there it's something like four or five rotations with cross axis. Like it's when in words, it makes no sense. But when you see the clip, you're like, yeah, I'm still confused what's happened. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, without boring you for five minutes on how we do the numbers and stuff, it's four flips with one sideways, one lateral rotation. 
It's just yeah. like it, it's so fast as well. Like I've seen you just sort of do doubles and triples on trampolines and stuff in the gym. And uh, when you did your first, um, what was your initial first trick that you did? The triple back, uh, triple, triple backside rodeo, yeah, yeah. And like even in the prep on that, you over rotated and it looked like you were just going, yeah, I'll just do four instead. <laughs> yeah, to come out early to slow the speed down. I remember that. It seems like so long ago. That was 2011. It was almost 10 years ago, bro. <laughs> so, I guess, are the days of World First behind you? Or are you still sneakily working on some stuff behind the scenes? I don't think so. I remember doing the quad and I was like, holy shit, I, don't have to do, I hope I don't have to do that again. <laughs> it was like, it was so gnarly. I was like, yeah, that's the limits of what I can do. But things will progress you know I, I'm I was kind of at the older age of the guys I competed against they you know there's an 18 year old did one the next year after I did it so you know he's still got 10 years left in him so we'll see what happens or Marcus Cleveland mate you never know so that's that's that you always need that world first it was like the uh was it the um, four minute mile and all these kind of world first that people until someone shows that it's possible like um, Travis Pastrana with a backflip on motocross like now they're doing doubles and it's you need one person to go I can push this I, this is possible a backflip's like if you don't do a backflip in a run you're like oh who's this person it's just the way sport progresses you need people like yourself who kind of push it and test it so um are you still competing are you doing sort of the winter olympics or anything moving forward i doubt i'll be going to the next olympics now um it's especially after this corona stuff it's really hard if i lived in resort it's it's a lot easier to keep up with everything um but i wanted to take a break from competing after the olympics anyway because i've been doing it for pretty much six eight years solid mm. um and to be honest, the World Cup circuit and the, qualif the qualification contests aren't the most fun. Um, it's a bit of a slog. Um, and there's a lot more contests that are, you know, like the private random resort contests that are a lot more fun. They're, you know, they're, mm. they're based around people having a good time and cool snowboarding going down, which is why I started snowboarding. Um, so hopefully I'll have more time to get back into that and play around with, with the fun stuff. Amazing. So, like, while you've been sort of back in um, Southampton or back in the UK, I see you're you're taking you're doing a lot more cycling. And um, what have you kind of been doing over the last sort of few months, especially during lockdown, to keep yourselves busy? Yeah, to start with, I was super lazy, and I just, I just did. I was just doing like bits of jobs at home, doing some DIY. I finished a loft conversion and that, but I've always found it really hard to exercise on my own. I literally can't do it. I've tried to go outside and I just get sidetracked and I'm like, this is crap. I've, I've always done all my gym stuff with a friend. Um, it's the same as snowboarding. It's just rubbish when you're on your own. It's like a, a group activity. Um, and cycling, I've, I've always cycled a lot, but a few of my mates go road, road biking and I just, it's so good for my knees because I've had a, a, two knee reconstructions. Um, it was just a perfect thing to get into. So just going out in the fresh air, social distancing still, cycling around was perfect. I was going for, I was going mountain biking in the woods on my own to start with, but then I started getting a bit reckless and like jumping. 
And I was like, if I crash in the woods, it's not going to be ideal. I have to wait for a dog walker to come and get me. I thought, at least the road's a little bit safer, even though it's probably not. Yeah, so it was about 250k you did on Saturday or Sunday. Mate, don't do that. It was stupid. <laughs> We'd done hundreds, me and my mate Stefan, and we were like, and then Paddy Graham, he, he did a 300 kilometer cycle from Innsbruck to, um, to Zurich and back. Um, and we were like, oh, we should cycle for 12 hours and see how far we can go. So that's pretty much what we did. But there, there is no way. We got to 200 and we were all, there were three of us, and we were all completely done at, at 200. It was, I don't know how people cycle more than that. Obviously, you need to train lots and get better at it than that, but. I just felt ill the whole time and I'd ate so much sugar because people were like, yeah, you're going to need loads and loads of calories. So I was just, I took like the, the gel bars, heaps of Red Bull, um, energy bars, protein bars, loads of Haribo as well. And the last hour I was like just buzzing, but tired. It was really weird. It was a horrible, yes. and I had a hangover the next day, <laughs> full hangover from the sugar. It was the worst. <laughs> I think the stomach was crying out as well, like, Ugh. Oh, yeah. I don't know, but you don't have the space to take lots of stuff with you, so I guess it was the only choice. Of, but I would have wished I'd taken a few more sandwiches instead of um, just that, yeah. So uh, moving on to food nicely, uh, say when you were out on the slopes for your sort of full days of training or um, just out shredding, what were the kind of food you would go to? Would you take food with you? Would you stop at particular restaurants or places to eat? Like what was your kind of slope day meals? Yeah. Um, in the morning, I would, I would try and eat as much as possible um, because it normally takes an hour and a half at least to get to the mountain before we start riding anyway because you have to drive there, go up the lift, get to the park, sort yourself out. So I'd have porridge and some sort of scrambled eggs we'd like make chili scrambled eggs and basically eat as much of that as possible and if you've got room just eat the rest of the porridge and it's an easy thing to make lots of for everyone because we're in a group so we just make all that together and scran it um eat a banana on the way up the hill is what i try and do if there's bananas kicking about um and then ride until about 11 12 o'clock because our days finish early, so we have like an earlier lunch. And then we don't go to the restaurants very often because they're always um, mega expensive. And it's, we're in Austria a lot of the time. It's like schnitzel and chips, <laughs> standard. Like it's, it's, it's hard to get um, something that you think this will be good, this will get me through the end of the day. Um, so we make make like some salad wraps some salad fish wraps of some sort with like mackerel whatever's easy to get up the hill um and nuts loads and loads of nuts we, we call it a scrog mix do you know what i mean so like we have, have, have like a bag and then whenever we go somewhere you find find something to put in your scrog mix so what and then it ends up being like loads of random stuff so you might put like some chocolate chips in there one day or then you'll find some cashews and be like just chuck some cashews so you've got this like forever developing bag <laughs> that's chain that just changing all the time and you get like sometimes you get like a layer of salt at the bottom 
and you're like you have to get rid of a bit of the salt because <laughs> it gets a bit hanging put some smarties in there um yeah and then come down and whatever whatever someone's eating in the afternoon so we take it in turns to cook um a chili or curry or whatever Did you so is that with like the gb team or is that just with friends or yeah it's normally when we're together training um as a group there's normally at least um six or more of us um because the skiers and the freestyle skiers and snowboarders normally train together in the same places because we've got quite a small team we need to collaborate together so we're all like a, a pretty tight crew the skiers and snowboarders we're all in the same place doing the same stuff anyway so it makes sense do you have like nutritionists and stuff for the team or is that not really the done thing in snowboarding because obviously certain sports and especially Olympic teams, you know, the behind the scenes, you've got nutritionists, you've got massage therapists, you've got this, that, that. Like, yeah, what's the, the snowboarding and skiing kind of set up like? So we, we have access to all that, um, but there's only a few people that, um, that really get into it. I mean, we're all, we're free sports athletes at heart, you know, all of us. So um, we are forced to go to some um, nutrition seminar thingies, not seminars, but... Um, we have like bi-annual meetings where everybody goes and we're educated on certain stuff, which is really good. Like uh, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy it. I've got some, I've feedback. Got some feedback. Is it? Is it? Yes. Yes. On your laptop. Has something changed? No, it's just, yeah. It's, uh, we're having a, a bit of an error. We'll, uh, Sorry. Is that better? Um, yeah, stop now. <laughs> Perfect. Where was I? I got distracted. Um, so, like, do you have nutrition? You say you do like workshops and. Um... Yeah, yeah. Sorry, work workshops. That's it. Um, which is good because we go and learn a lot, but it's it's hard to put that in practice when we go on the hill because you you can't get everything when you're on the mountain all the time, and I, I don't think it we believe that it's mega important because it's such a skill-based sport everything's upstairs unless you're like putting on loads of weight and you need to, to shred down um as as long as you're able to to go snowboarding all day i think that's enough i mean the, the marginal gains things it definitely works so you can make small improvements to yourself and make yourself a little bit stronger and this and that but it just, just seems to never sink in with the free sports athletes, especially young ones. They're like, no, I just want to go snowboarding, which is perfect because that's what you want in our sport. You need to love it to do it. Um, it's, a, it's a weird one. Yeah, it's quite, quite different to say, like, I don't know, like Michael Phelps with swimming. He has obviously such a regimen, such specific calories and all this. And it's, he's 100% eating full performance because there's that layoff. Whereas you said, freestyle sports it's the difference because it's, it's the mental game as well as being able to do the tricks. You also have to turn up on the day mentally. So it's a slightly different, obviously nutrition will help, but as you said, it's, it's interesting to hear it's a bit of an afterthought rather than a like pre-planning pre-thought. Yeah. I definitely have a plan to the way I eat through the day. I don't want to bog myself down with loads of crap. I need, I need lots of energy, um, but I don't want it to be crap energy. Um, but it's just how, how we manage that through the day. I think uh, like different people do things 
differently. My mate Rowan doesn't have breakfast and goes up the mountain and um, he, won't, he won't really do anything. He'll, he'll, have a, he'll have a can of Red Bull with me at lunch to like charge him through the afternoon. But he, he, he's probably different now, but he did, didn't have breakfast. I don't know how he could do that. I'd be chowing down as much as possible in the mornings and he'd just like get out of bed five minutes before and go up the hill and ride all day. Madness. I don't know. With um, Obviously, you've managed to see a lot of the world um, with your snowboarding and travelling. Has there been any particular place where you're like, I would go back there just for the food? The food there was amazing, whether it's local cuisine or whether it is somewhere on the mountain that you stop for every time. It's like we have to go and eat there. I like Asian food, so when we went to Korea, I was buzzing. <laughs> I was like, this is sick. And we busted out of the Olympic Village, and um, I went down to Seoul for a few days. And yeah, that, that was what we were just cruising about, trying to find like the most random foods we could get. It was so good. I'm all about that. That's when my stomach can handle spicy stuff. It seems to have given up on me now. <laughs> Back to the Western diet. Yeah, it sucks. It's amazing. It's interesting because you're you're the third or fourth person out of all the interviews I've done of, that says about Asian food. Um, like me and Shireen, we absolutely love Asian food as well. I think it's just it's the experience because there it's such a passion for the food. It's the local people cooking from local ingredients. It's very simple, very quick, and there's so many flavors from very few ingredients. I think that's part of the beauty of it. Mm. Yeah, I spent some time in, in Indonesia as well, and um, it, it's very similar, but again they make they seem to have like you say the same ingredients when you go we went to the the local market it's all the kind of same stuff but they have such a wide variety of foods they don't they don't have stuff kind of imported they've just got what they've got but they still Mm. make make loads of different really cool food there it's rad and when you were when you were growing up was there any meals that you still make to this day or is there a meal that if you think back to when you were really young, like your earliest food memory, is there one meal you're like, I will never eat that again, or the opposite of, I absolutely fell in love with it then and I want it again now? That's hard. I just, I eat everything. <laughs> I'll, I'll eat anything someone puts in front of me, even if, if it's something I don't like, I'm like, just take it as a challenge, just eat it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, nah. I, I do enjoy most food. As long as it's done well. Nothing from a young age. You were like, oh, that ingredient or that. I had a really bad experience with this. I've always liked garlic. If there's a re- if I'm making a recipe and it's like two cloves of garlic, I'm like, nah. Oh. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> that's that's not happening. I'm not bothering getting the garlic out for two cloves. <laughs> yeah, it's such a such a flavour powerhouse, and yeah, I think when. If people can't have garlic, there's this whole FODMAP, which is you have to be really sensitive over what you eat. Um, Shirin had an allergic reaction the other day and we were really stripping back like what she was eating. And it was really, really challenging to firstly buy anything that didn't have garlic from spices to flavourings to then actually making something that has lots of flavour. Like garlic and onion are just two staples that taste absolutely amazing. The so, garlic? Was allergic to garlic? No, we, we're not sure what it was, um, but we just decided to strip anything we know can have reactions. So we kind of went, it's called FODMAP. So we, we reduced it all down. But yeah, yeah. it was a real, for me, really hard. 
I know a few people that have tried to do that and they, they, they go back to like nothing and then add things. Every two weeks they're allowed to add something and it just sucks. <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, we've got her back into it now, like again, because I like cooking from fresh stuff anyway. It's, I'm, I know what's going into the food, so it's, yeah, how are you? No reaction, cool, that's fine. But yeah, yeah it's, uh, it was scary. How's it all going, all the, the food businesses? Good. Yeah, we uh, so we actually had um, a really good time during lockdown because people weren't going out and we were offering the, the veg boxes along with our meals. So it was a nice little addition. Um, so we had a really crazy few weeks of um, head down, working from 6.30 in the morning till 11 at night, just trying to get everything sorted. So we've kind of got a hang of it now and, and managed to upscale and batch and keep everything much more easy um but yeah it's it's really good you would definitely have to come to the kitchen um as i said to you over the messages i really want to do these things in person where we can cook food enjoy cooking food together kind of film that side and then sit down and have these kind of conversations um that's something that i would love to to do again when when this is over we'll have to have to link up and do that yeah the, the interview thing has got quite stagnant over the last long time in in snowboarding they've always tried to like make interviews you know better like interviewing people on the lifts and this and that but make making some food sitting down and eating it is everybody likes food and it's just perfect because it's a really social thing so great idea mate i'm in <laughs> yeah i think it was inspired by i don't know if you've seen the film chef um john favreau goes around on like a food truck and it's a, such a passionate food film and then he started the chef series where he actually gets people from, um, cause he was in like the Avengers and those kind of films. There's a, a meal where he gets everyone to a restaurant that he's really passionate about and works with like their chef there. And it's all the kind of top stars like Robert Downey Jr. And um, the guy that played Spider-Man and all this stuff sat around talking about food. And I was just like, that's such a cool concept. I'd love yeah. to hear people's stories. Cause like yourself, I was like, you're out on the slopes all day. Like what do you eat? And um, again, it's just, a different topic of conversation rather than how old were you when you had your first snowboard? How did you do this? Like, it's just, it allows you to have a bit more freedom as well. So that's the, that's the idea. So thanks for jumping on. Yeah, no, it's all good. And if you're talking about food and making food, more topics will come up. People will be rem reminded of things. Do you know what I mean? So I always, my memory is so bad. I always get off the phone and then, remember oh yeah this i should have mentioned that and that but you'll because you're in the moment you'll be reminded about it yeah well um we won't keep this going on too long because i know you are busy right. and right now so it is rambler, mate. <laughs> i'll ramble on <laughs> well it's it's beautiful weather today so we'll let you get out there there so if anyone wants to um see your stuff online i'll put a few of the clips of your sort of well first in this conversation so definitely keep an eye on them but yeah, where can people find you on social media or website or that kind of stuff? Uh, my Instagram's Billy Morgman. It's like Morgan, but Morgman. Somebody had claimed it. Um, Facebook and Instagram are the same. Um, and my YouTube channel's Billy Morgan. I need to be more active on my YouTube. My YouTube. I'm going to start making some like vloggy stuff when I'm allowed out. But yeah, check me out. Hope you enjoy my stunts. <laughs> awesome so last last question uh if you you've lived your long life you've done everything you wanted to do and now it's the final meal before you move on to whatever the next phase of your journey will be whether that ends or whether that's something higher what would your final meal be 
I'd go to a curry house. Yeah. For sure. In East Indian curry house, the best one. Coriander lounge in Southampton. If you if you're about to die and you need one last meal, go there. <laughs> Good local recommendation. Mitch's kitchen. No, actually, go to Mitch's kitchen. <laughs> Okay, oh, yeah. I'll, pay, I'll pay you off in a minute. Don't worry. Cheers, mate. <laughs> Cheers, mate. <laughs> Amazing. Well, it's been a pleasure. Uh, okay. And see you again soon. Legend, mate.